dainty voice that you're hearing is by Beverly Brian, or belongs to. I guess you don't have uh, proper, uh, intellectual property over your voice, right? We should start over. <laughs> no! Um, but anyway, you guys are listening to uh, Multivestabilidad by Algodón Egipcio. Uh, we have a guest in the studio. You know, hint, hint. It, he might be some sort of Middle Eastern fabric. No? Terrible? Bad puns? You'll never guess who it is. You'll never guess. Anyway, let's finish out the song and then we'll come right back. Our guest, as you might have guessed by now, is Checky Bertho of AKA Algodon Egipcio. Woo! Um, <laughs> a, Muchas cosas. Woo! Be our guest. Chichis para la banda. <laughs> how, how are you doing, Checky? I'm doing very good. I'm actually very excited to be here on the podcast with Woo! you guys. Um, we're very excited to have you. Um, there's a lot we can talk about. We're going to play some great music that Checky has picked out for us. And um, it's it's exciting on multiple levels because um, Checky is also a writer for a mezcla, so he is a colleague of both me and Richards, and we're also fans of his music. So it's like awkward on multiple levels. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited because like you, um, we were talking earlier about like sort of like the scene and because um, we met a few years ago now it's like been almost like four years yeah almost at Festival Normal in Monterrey yes. and like we were talking about a little bit about like phonograma culture and sort of like that's where I discovered you that's where I knew who you were 
Yeah. You know, so I was like, oh, that's cool. And I, when I met you eventually at, at Normal, I was like, oh, shit, thanks, Phonogramma. <laughs> Cut to now. But, um, yeah, and so, like, I'm, we're really excited to have you here. And, you know, we want to talk about some shit. We want to talk about music. We want to talk about your latest record, which has made it into all of the very important top ten lists of the year. So, congratulations. Thank you. Um, and that record is called La Confianza Ciega. Um, tell us a little bit about it. Like, I mean... What, what, you know, influenced you? Where were you at personally, psychologically? Tell us a little bit about the music. What's up? What's the tea? Well, um, I did my first album in 2010 and came out in 2011 through a label uh, from the U.S. called Lefse Records. Okay. And uh, I toured it for a while. <laughs> and my plan was to, like, uh, get a second album ready, like, right away to, you know, keep the ball rolling. Right. But it didn't turn out that way. <laughs> like, it took it took me five years, actually, to drop the second one. And I worked on the album for a very long time, but it wasn't, like, a continuous work. I, I was, like, trying to uh, be creative in a, an environment that was very hostile, uh, which is Caracas uh, in the last um, maybe five or six years mm -hmm. or 18 or <laughs> whatever. And um, yes, it's very tough to try to be creative and do art or stuff like that while having to, you know, you know, run through your yeah. life half the time. Yeah, yeah. Like mm, try to stay alive and find food at the supermarket and, right. uh, you know, do things that are basic to, you know, everyone in the rest of the world. But for us, it was like, a, like something very hard, like trying to survive, almost not, not live, but to survive. And uh, it took me a while. And then I finally got out of Venezuela almost two years ago. And that's when... Actually, I received the masters of the of the album, and it was like, okay, I'm out of this country, and I'm on this other country in Mexico, uh, where there are a lot of opportunities for um, Latin artists to, you know, uh, develop a career and stuff like mm -hmm. that, and play shows, and there's like a touring um, circuit and stuff like that, and uh, I found another label, well, actually two, it, the, the record La, uh, La Confianza Sia came out on Arts and Crafts Mexico. Cool. And uh, here in the States, it came out on Punk Records. Cool, cool. A uh, friend of the show, Sokio, Punk Records. Yeah, Sokio has been a guest. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> um, and so I could go back to something because... I didn't realize you wrote a lot of the songs while still living in Venezuela. All of them, actually. Wow, okay. Yes. Um, right, so you got the masters there, like, when you, after you moved to Mexico City. Exactly. So, um, one thing that's, like, interesting to me about the song, and I don't know how much, or about um, the album, sorry, and that I didn't realize, um, or rather what I mean to say is one thing that um, I don't know how much you want to comment on it, but a lot of the songs you've told me um, can comment. Um, it, they could be taken one way or another. Yeah. They could be taken as commenting on um, the situation in Venezuela. Yeah. I don't know how much of that you'd like to get into. Well, I, I can talk about it if you want to. Okay. I, I mean, I would really like to because I think, like, one of the best things about the album is that the lyrics are really interesting. Thank you. <laughs> um, for instance, like, what would you say would be, um, or perhaps you can um, mention 
because there's there's a lot of layers to the album to me like for instance um a lot of the lyrics um seem to use um a lot of imagery from science yeah you know from the natural sciences like the water cycle yeah and things like that and i was wondering if you could comment on like um sort of what you were thinking about at the time that inspired the lyrics like if there were um whether it was a political situation or something you were thinking about about nature or human relationships like for instance say the song um La Estrella Irregular. You mm-hmm. could even look at that as, like, you know, referencing astronomy. Yeah. Well, um, I usually get get inspired by by feelings in general. Like, I write a lot about those topics. I, I, I don't know. I try to write stuff that a lot of people can relate to without uh, really knowing what the song is about. And... Uh, <clears throat> I mean, maybe the term layers is something that represents the album a lot, because I mean the 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 songs, uh, the instrumental part and the production is very layered, and and you can hear it and then hear it again and find uh, some other elements that you hadn't listened to uh, before and stuff like that, and that that's something that also is represented on the album title, which is La, Conf- uh, La Confianza Ciega, which can translate to maybe the blind trust or trust blinds. Hmm. Uh, oh, so it could be taken oh. more than one way. Exactly, yes. So ah. I, I, I try to do that a lot on the lyrics, like uh, maybe you can hear uh, La Estrella Irregular, for example, and think about it as a song about, I don't know, a, a relationship that went sour or something like that. And then, uh, if you know the context, you can see that it's actually about how Caracas uh, became something unrecognizable uh, from what it used to be. And, uh, yes, I lived there for, like, 11 years, I think. And um, when I got there, I I was 16 years old and, you know, very, like, excited about everything, leaving the, you know, arriving the, the big city and stuff like that. And uh, then years later, it was like, okay, this isn't, okay, uh, the things I love the most about the city, they aren't even here anymore. So what what do we have less, uh, left and what are we going to do with that? Like, should we just cry uh, forever and say, oh, well, in the old days, blah, blah, blah. Or it's like, okay, uh, can we move on or uh, can we do something about it or something like that? Uh, yeah. So that's actually something that I wanted to ask about because... Uh, Venezuela, you know, has been sort of in turmoil now for a few years, yeah. and, you know, I don't want to get too political about it, but I think this year it came to a head, you know, like, it really, like, the, you know, the migrations kind of skyrocketed, like, it's actual millions of people who have now left yeah. uh, Venezuela, um, and obviously you see it, like, all over the news and stuff. For someone, I mean, you're a Venezolano, and, like, you just moved away two years ago, even from from your town, what's what's the name of your Puerto Ordaz. Puerto Ordaz, right? To to Caracas, even from like a child to now an adult, how do you see Venezuela has changed? Like you know, obviously like it's maybe not as safe or as economically stable. Yeah. But like maybe maybe in like smaller details, I don't I don't know. Like have you how have you seen the country change? You know. Well, I I think the most important way it has changed is actually very big and people don't really see it because of course the 
the issues like uh, I mean uh, like violence and maybe food and medicine shortages and right. stuff like that that's the most the most obvious things but I think the biggest uh, change has been cultural cultural yeah yes because I um on many levels I mean something I get very sad about is that um, many Venezuelans they um, they don't really like to work anymore like um, there has there has been like this culture of um, like like corruption and trying to find uh, shortcuts to doing like a lot of money in very short amount of, amount of time mm -hmm. one of them is for example selling um, like dollars like uh, right. and in Venezuela we don't really have we, we can't buy uh, dollars or any other kind of a currency uh, like freely you, you cannot go to a a bank and buy dollars or euros or anything like that so people they maybe earn dollars or they got them in any kind of way they could and they sell and sell them at a higher pr price for example or maybe they can for more than the exchange exactly exchange yeah yeah rate? they yeah. can they can have a profit for like a th like a thousand percent more in Argentina they do the exact same thing yeah exactly yeah. but in Venezuela it's like um, inflation and uh, stuff like that it's very high right now so they, you can get rich very quickly if you're smart so people don't really they don't really want to work the hard work it's not like oh well I, I don't want to go to the office if I can maybe go to if I can queue up at a, in front of a supermarket at like 3am and buy chicken and then sell it for like uh 10 times the price or something oh, like that. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so that's what I mean. It's like... And people are starving, so it's sort of... Exactly, it's, it's they're cruel. playing with... It yeah, cruel. With the needs of everyone, basically. So, yeah, you go to maybe a McDonald's or whatever, and you deal with the people who are in, like, doing, like, service, you know, work. And it's like, oh, yeah, can I have this and that? And I say, like, yeah, whatever. They treat you... Uh, very bad because right. they don't really want to be there. They, they're thinking maybe, I don't need this. You know, I can maybe sell dollars and that's it. I can, you know, feed my children or whatever. So that, it wasn't like that before. Mm. So right now, no, I don't know. <laughs> so is it because, um, like, economic politi and political instability has um, maybe been affecting the culture? Like, yeah, exactly. It's going to like, it's going to change. Like people are going to change because of the situation. Yeah, totally. Like, um, from what I understand, you know, a lot of businesses are not doing well. So people might not know if they have work. Yeah. So they might like not want to come in or like try to think of something better. Yeah. You know, so it's sort of, well, that's, that's really rough because then it will, you could be around the same people, but it would feel alienating. Yeah, exactly. Right. Just like that. And I mean, in general, it's like, mm, it's very unstable. Like living in Venezuela, you are stressed out every day for things that, it, that you shouldn't be. Right. So it has affected the whole country, like psychologically in levels that uh, people aren't really paying attention to those kind of shifts and uh, they should. It's like you go out and you say goodbye to your mother and it's like I don't even know if I'm gonna return and see you again or if I'm gonna be alive or whatever and you're just gonna, going to buy bread at the corner or something like that so it's that heavy um, but it's hard to come back from that like it can change people's mentalities so exactly the, yes. 
the economy could get better, but it would take longer t- for the country to recover psychologically. Exactly. And yeah, that's that's the thing. Like a lot of people say, well, okay, maybe next year uh, Maduro won't be president anymore and everything will, will get better like instantly. It's and not then, magic. Not, exactly. Mm. All right. Well, I think this is maybe a good time to play some music. Um, Please. Cause, cause, <laughs> um, you know, like one of the, I, I plagued you with a million questions, you know, to try to, you know, put this playlist together. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I, that I was very curious about, and especially like now that we're, you know, we do- dove right into Venezuela and yeah. sort of what's happening is like, you know, what it used to be or, or, you know, like what is, what, what, uh, what is a good like picture of Venezuela pre-crisis and pre-scary times? Um, and so like you mentioned like Calypso yeah. was, you know, something that you grew up with and we have this great song by Con Venezuela. Um, like, why why are we going to play that song today? What does it mean to you? Well, it means happier times, maybe. Um, when I was little, um, well, I mean, I'm from a, a region in Venezuela called Guayana, and there are a lot of immigrants from, mm, like, Dominica and Trinidad, for example. There's a lot of Trini- uh, people from Trinidad. And um, there's a big... Actually, my on my father's side, my, uh, my grandparents... Uh, parents are from those particular places like uh, Dominica and Trinidad and there's a big culture around uh, Carnaval okay uh, I'm a big Soka fan yeah me too that's why I, well I remember um, my um, grandmother's family they used to tape the uh, Carnaval on VHS and send us the tapes so we watched maybe not in February but maybe in March <laughs> the the parades and everything and the, we were always um, very aware of what Soca song or Calypso song from Trinidad was the hottest at the moment and stuff like that and then we made tapes and everything so yes when we when we hopped on the car on my parents car it well me and my brother are very close so it's always like when I say we, it's him. Right. And, uh, you work with him on music sometimes. No, not really. Uh, uh, he He's a very good musician. He plays bass and uh, writes songs and stuff That's like that. That's what I knew. Yeah? Okay. Uh, no, but cut that part out because I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. Uh, he's actually... Uh, he now lives in Santiago de Chile. Uh, he's one of the many, many Venezuelans who fled the country in recent years. Mm. Um, but yes, he he had he was in bands and stuff like that. But no, we actually there was only one time when we played together, and it was thanks to a friend of mine called uh, Ulises Hadjis, and he managed to have me as his guitar player and my brother as his bass player, and he was very proud of the moment. So I uh, I hooked up the the Berto brothers finally. <laughs> Come on, Berto brothers. So yeah. Um, Every time we were on the car or at home or at anywhere, we had Calypso. So this is like remembering old times, good old times. Cool. So this is All Day Today by Con Venezuela.
Yeah, so um, that makes me think, like, uh, you know, you talk about um, how much Venezuela has changed and, you know, how, you know, parts of it are unrecognizable to you. So, I don't know, what are the things about um, Caracas, about Venezuela that you love? What are some things that you miss? Um, And also, what was the scene like when uh, you started making music in Caracas? What was the music scene like? Uh, Well, what do I miss? Well, I miss, like, those family road trips, like going to maybe the beach in Puerto La Cruz or Margarita. Like, Mar- uh, Margarita Island is, uh, like, a very popular destination, or used to be. Um, and it's a beautiful island with a lot of beautiful beaches, and we used to go there a lot to, like, buy a bunch of, you know, candy. <laughs> because it was very cheap. It's like, they didn't have taxes, so you can buy a, you could buy a lot of uh, imported stuff and stuff like that. So we used to have a lot of fun going there, and now it's very unsafe to go to Margarita. And, and really? Ma- yeah, no, it's terrible. Like, uh, tourists, get uh, they get uh, robbed and get killed in Margarita. Yeah, it's, it's terrible right, right now. And my parents, they used to take us every year, like, religiously. And even after me and my brother left uh, Puerto Ordaz, they still went every year, and now they they're very sad because they they uh, haven't been able to return in like years. So it's like yeah. It, it's funny that you should mention uh, Isla Margarita because like I jokingly at first I wanted to open with a theme to uh, Bienvenidos, which is just this famous uh, you know Venezuelan comedy show. Um, and like they, whenever they had like a, a special or yeah. something, it was always at Isla Margarita. So yeah. like Isla Margarita, like I grew up watching this show. And so Isla Margarita in my mind was always this like idyllic sort of beautiful beach Caribbean I paradise. Know. And it used to be, but right now it's like, it's very sad. That's so sad. Yeah, I know. I, like, I, like that's a part of my childhood and I've, <laughs> ne- I've never even been to Venezuela. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. So yes, I miss all of those stuff and I, I well... Connecting the that question with the local scene in Caracas, I miss that too because actually I have this um, like theory that um, maybe not the Venezuelan scene, but specifically the the Caracas scene has been like rebooting over and over again. Because when I got there in like two thousand three, there was this very rich and very um, interesting electronic music scene where a lot of um, people who are like being successful right now, like maybe Arca and uh, Carlo Pusher and uh, Sunsplash and Pacheco and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, they came out of that um, scene and they used to do a lot of things like parties, compilations. They had labels like online online radios and stuff like that. And I, I like I like I said, I was sixteen years old, going seventeen, and I was like in awe. I actually, the first time I saw this band called Todos Santos, which is like a cult band in Venezuela, uh, made up of uh, now friends of mine, like Sunsplash and Pacheco. And even MPH used to be one of the members of Todos Santos in one of the incarnations later on. And uh, the first time I saw them, it was like they they had like visuals that were synchronized to the music and they did like guitar feedbacks and stuff like that. And I was like, I... This is, it changed my life literally. It, I, I thought that if you wanted to make music in Venezuela, you had to do like shitty covers of, you know, metal things <laughs> or punk, like, I don't know, 
whatever, like Blink-182, just that, I mean, not that they're bad, but um, that's the, that's, that, what, that was what I thought, like, you had to do, like, covers, or metal, or punk, and that was it, like, there, there's no room for experimentation or anything like that, so I saw them, and I saw them live, which is more shocking, and um, I said, like, well, I can do something different, and still play, and still, you know, Uh, do um, albums and stuff like that. By the way, you said Todos Santos was life-changing. Is there a particular song that stands out? Uh, well, maybe. There are a lot. Let's see. I don't remember the names. Uh, there's one called... They only had one full album called Aeropuerto. That mm -hmm. was the name. And I, I still remember the record uh, the, the record launch party. It, it was at, a, at this great theater. And... Uh, They had a lot of guests and stuff like that, and you you bought the ticket and they gave you the the album. I remember, and uh, there's a song called Panam, Panam. Uh -huh. that, yeah, that's very good, and it's a very diverse album. Like they did like IDM from the early early 2000s and uh, that indie tronica label and stuff like that. But they also did like post post rock and 80s stuff, and it's all like condensed in in this album and it's legendary. I mean, there's a lot of like Um, younger generation generations of bands and artists that quote them a lot, like being a big influence on like the Venezuelan indie scene in general. So they've, yeah, they've influenced generations of Venezuelan musicians. Exactly, and they only did one album. After that, they kind of like went through um, changes, <laughs> and that's when M Pitch came in, and there were only like two of the guys and her, and they did like this. Um, They tried to do something like dance music, but rooted on a specific genre from Venezuela, actually made in Venezuela, in Caracas, uh, in the slums of Caracas, which is called Changatuki. Yes, so uh, they, they were actually the first one who tried to do something with that, like grab the influence and, and the energy and some of the elements of the genre. And uh, they did this EP called Acid girls and it was like technotronics hot yeah something like that and then after that like pacheco pox and producers of the of those generations they dive they dove right into you know meeting with the original producers of changatuki and it really got big for a short period of time <laughs> but it got picked up by like uh some sistema enchufada people like that yes wow. yeah they they got to play in europe and uh, release compilation albums and stuff like that. So actually, let's get crazy. I'm gonna play Pan Panam by Todos Santos. Okay, let's do that. <laughs>
that's cool. We were just enjoying that. And um, so you're talking a little bit about like how this uh, band was very influential yeah. um, on you and a lot of other people in your generation. Um, but where do you come into this scene? Like, when did you start making music in Venezuela? Well, let's see. I um, I moved to Caracas in 2003, and uh, there was like a year-long period of time where I just studied because I studied uh, uh, electronic engineering in, at university. You were interested in what <laughs> musicians studied and stuff like that. Um, but yes, I was studying and that's all I did for a whole year. And then I started meeting people and going out to shows and stuff. And um, Wait, so was this like sound engineering or something? or No, no, electronic engineering. Like, you know, to be circuits. an electrician? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> like electrical That's engineering, like um, like it, making robots. Yeah, yeah, More maybe. Like yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm like really dumb. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I already talked about how I. Or like not elec school. not electrical engineering, but um. Yeah, it's more, let's say, electrical is ma uh, it's macro, like high voltages and stuff like that, and electronic is like circuits, like okay. m uh, computers and stuff like that. Okay, okay, yeah. gotcha. So can you, you, can you make your own instruments now? I don't. I don't remember Ooh, anything I said. Cool. <laughs> well, maybe if I dust off the books and stuff. Uh, but Check these guide to circuit bending. Yeah! <laughs> I tried to do that, but no, it didn't come out right. Um, but yes, I started uh, meeting people and going out, and uh, I actually had a couple of bands. Like uh, I remember, I had like this post post rock band, and then with my best friend, I used to have this project called Las Americas, which was like folk music with noise. <laughs> like, Wait, what was what was the post rock band called? Uh, um, that was Adios Junio, which is like Goodbye June. <laughs> That ah yeah, it's a it's a Smashing Pumpkins <laughs> song. My my favorite band is Smashing Pumpkins, so uh, that was what we had in common. So we, it came out of the one of the song titles, and then I started playing with a band called Boom Boom Clan, which was yes, which uh, they were like Moom maybe from Island, uh, Iceland, and Sigur Ross and stuff like that. So yes, a lot, down tempo IDM, and I used to play bass. And maybe melodica and program a little, and yes, that I think with Boom Boom Clan, Boom Boom Clan, I started like entering the scene formally, maybe, and hooking up with other producers and musicians and artists from Venezuela and uh, uh, yeah, Caracas specifically, but also from Maracaibo and San Cristobal or other cities in cool. in Venezuela, and then I started. My own project, which which was called Jovenes is Sexies, which is young, uh, young and sexy. Yes, Jovenes <laughs> is Sexies, because we've played them on this show before. <laughs> yeah, so that was my baby, actually. Mine and uh, my bandmate, uh, Lucila. And we did this four-song EP, which was like three original songs and one breather's cover. And... Uh, it kind of blew up a little in like the Mexican indie scene, and it was, really? was yeah, like we got played in. We entered uh, in rotation in one local um, radio station, like a very important one, and we in Mexico and Venezuela. In Mexico, oh, okay. yes, wow. actually, a lot of people think well, they used to think that the uh, me and my friend we were from Mexico because we didn't. We, 
we didn't do anything in Venezuela, but in Mexico, we went there and played for like two years and did shows around Mexico, not only in Mexico City, so it was crazy. And uh, yes, w after it slowed down, like Jovenes Exit took like a, like a little break and then started uh, Algodón Egipcio in 2010. And that has been like my, my sole project, like musical output so far. I think that that's a perfect time, uh, way to lead in to, like, some more Algodón Egipcio music. Yeah. So, um, I asked you, I was like, what's one of, like, the first songs that you put out that, like, you know, that you would like to play? And you came up with El Ingenio Mano. Yes. Um, so, what's up with that? You know, where were you at when, like, you put out La Lucha Constante, which was the album? Well, um, that was some weird times because I was trying to figure out what to do in music and I didn't really know how to do a lot of things I did on that album like I hadn't uh, written lyrics or uh, sang or anything I mean I, I I don't know I tried to do everything and push the limits of what I could and couldn't do mm. uh, through that album like I wrote lyrics for the first time I um, mixed it I also did the mastering and uh You know, I did uh, the the whole album. I did myself, so it was like DIY decathlete, yeah, exactly. right yeah. here. <laughs> and I actually, it's very funny because sometimes I remember that I actually did everything on this like crappy iPod uh, earbuds that I later on found out that they were broken, and one of the channels no. was louder than the other one. <laughs> so I don't know if that comes so through. So lo-fi wasn't just an aesthetic for you. No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, yes. <laughs> That's intense. All right, well, so let's listen to El Ingenio Mano. Yeah. 
I, I, got, I just got really stank looks from everybody in the room because Beverly asked, so why is the project called Algodón Egipcio? And I said, oh, it must have to do with your hair because for those who aren't familiar with what Algodón Egipcio, a.k.a. Checky, looks like, he has a big fluffy fro. And it's awesome and it's iconic. Thank and you. I've and I've actually described how iconic it is and how you need to fucking market the shit out of it and make that money. <laughs> um, but apparently I was wrong. So why are you why is the project called Algodon Egipcio? Well the thing is, I don't know, it's very hard to choose names for things in general, like mm. song titles and albums and etc. And uh, when I did my first album, I think I had the entire thing done already and I didn't have the name. So I was thinking about it like for like two straight weeks and asking my brother like what do you think about this he would no <laughs> uh so i asked him a, a, a lot and uh we were watching this very non trascento movie called uh uptown girls i think which is with uh britney murphy and dakota fanning oh my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, so they have this song called uh, Sheets of uh, Egyptian Cotton. Na, 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 na. So, yeah, they had... The, the whole plot was about this guy who was, like, an indie artist, and then he sold out. <laughs> like and did, Yeah, yeah, basically. So he did a song called uh, 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 Egyptian Cotton, and I was like... I actually asked my brother, what do you think about Sheets of Egyptian Cotton? And he was like, well, it's kind of long. And I was like, but what about Egyptian cutting? It was okay, it sounds classy. <laughs> I guess it does sound classy. Yeah. It sounds expensive. Like very elegant. And I didn't I didn't even know anything about Egyptian cutting uh around those times. And I remember I went to um to do shows in Europe and someone I think in Portugal asked me like, but why is it called um oh well, he was like Egyptian cotton is like the smoothest, like the most uh, luxurious fabric in the entire world. What do you think you're like the the shit? <laughs> and I was like, no. Is is it actually the most luxurious? And he was like, yeah. Don't you know? And I'm like, no. <laughs> actually, it's known that Egyptian cotton is no. It's not even from Egypt. I well, think I think it's just a, a strand of it. I think most of it comes from like, uh, what what did I hear? I heard Pakistan or something. Well, there Egyptian you go. cotton is just what it's called, but it's not made in Egypt. It's like really weird. Um, yeah. Okay. More facts. Um. But one of the things that we were talking about before is that you're like a super collaborative artist. You've you know you tour like um as sort of as a session musician with like any number of bands and like you've done a remix for everybody and everybody's yeah, done a remix for you and you know <laughs> like all these people at like all these labels and stuff like that. So like you know sort of what does that sort of stem from? Is it maybe that like you know there was a small scene in Venezuela or are you just like a really like you know, you have, you're, you're compelled to have your hands in everything. Well, let's see. I don't know. I think I have a lot of friends who are musicians and that's the way we connect. I think even if on my own music, we, uh, I don't really let anyone like touch it. <laughs> uh, we, if you hear my albums there, there's no input from anyone else but me. So including production. Including production. I mean, on the last album, I have this. I had a friend called Claudio Ramirez uh, doing the mixing work, and uh, still I was in his studio supervising it. Like, uh, no, no, don't touch that. <laughs> so yeah, I'm very like, like you know, control freak with my own things. But I really like to connect through maybe remixes. I've done over twenty, I think, for many, many different artists. That, like the 
most different from me, the better. And uh, yes, I I've had the opportunity of also playing live, like as a musician for artists, like solo artists, especially like Javier Amena. I I toured with her in uh, in Spain several years ago, and also with Ulises Hadjis, uh, which is a Venezuelan friend of mine from Maracaibo, who also lives in Mexico City. Actually, we're we're neighbors, and. Um, Yes, he um, he's a solo artist, so he always needed someone playing guitars and keyboards and stuff like that. And we played together for several, uh, for like two years, maybe three. Wow. And even outside Venezuela. So, yes, that's a way I, you know, share creativity with, with other people. And maybe through remixes, I let them, you know, reinterpret my own music and, you know, It's always like a, a two-way street, like, uh, well, do you want to do a remix? Okay, but you do one <laughs> for me too, and yeah. It's That's interesting, um, because, you know, that uh, your own work is so much um, extremely solo, you know, yeah. but um, you also, you know, that kind of musical exchange outside of one of your albums is something that's also a big part of, like, your music career. Like, it's one thing I always found interesting was... Um, you know, you released an entire album, it was, yeah. of covers from Lefsey. Yeah. Um, what inspired you to do that? Well, <laughs> let's see. Well, it was originally a concept that the guy from the label came up with because they used to have a series called Way Slow. That was the name of the series. Um, where they did this uh, releases that were like off something more official, like an album or an EP, like more rarities and stuff like that. So they had the concept and uh, I said, okay, because um, many of the artists on the label I really liked and uh, they weren't necessarily well known <laughs> for a lot of people. But uh, for example, there was this member of a band I really liked called uh, Acorn Family and uh, people like that, like Youth Lagoon, etc. And I really like doing covers because I, I don't know, it's easier because you don't have to do the whole job. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, you can just put your, your print on it and make it or, or do a spin on it and do something interesting with something that is already there. And I did the thing and um, I don't know... I, In the end, they weren't interested in releasing it. So it was very funny because it was their idea. And then it was like, no, pass. And I was like, okay, I really like the, the way it turned out. So I tried to turn it into my own series and try to do mm, like an ongoing series of cover releases where I cho uh, chose something I really liked, maybe a label or an artist or something, and called it like, Algodón Egipcio sings, like Algodón Egipcio canta, like let's say maybe I like Javier Amena, okay, the Javier Amena songbook or something like that. So that's an idea I have in my, in my mind, but I, I haven't really follow, followed it up after the Lefse records. And uh, I don't know, that's, yeah, it was, a, even the, the remixed version I did of the first album was also an idea uh, that the label Um, they proposed it, and at the end they were like, "Okay, we're we're not really interested in doing it anymore." So I'm like, "Okay, well, two strikes." 
So I don't work with them anymore, <laughs> basically. <laughs> I learned my lesson. Um, you seem to have a really, because, you know, we've talked about Javier Amena now a few times, and we do have a song of hers uh, on the playlist. Like, what's sort of your relationship to Javier Amena? Like, how did that come about? Well, I started being a big fan of her work. We uh, all did. Yeah. <laughs> basically, like that first album, uh, Esquemas Juveniles, mm -hmm. was, for me... I don't know, eye-opening, uh, opening, I, I think, because I wasn't, like, Todos Santos was for me in Venezuela. I, I think Javier Amena, in, in, in a way, and also Jepe and more especially Chilean artists, they were like, okay, there's people in the region doing very interesting things. And this particular al album was very diverse, like, they had the, uh, the ballads and the, she had the like synth pop mm -hmm. numbers and stuff like that. So I, I don't know why I really connected with that. And it shows on the, that cover we did as Jóvenes y Sexys of Como Siempre Soñé. It's literally one of my favorite covers Thank you. ever. Uh, by anybody of any song. It's one of Thank my favorite. You. It like completely changes the song. Thank you. Fun fact. On that uh, cover, uh, we did it, like Lucila and I, and also uh, Ulises had this. He oh, really? recorded guitars, and uh, Juan Manuel Torreblanca of Torreblanca, Stop he recorded it. keyboards. Yeah. <laughs> I think no one knows that, actually. Um, Breaking news. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, when, when I went to do shows in Spain, etc., uh, we hooked up through a friend, and she needed also live musicians for her shows. And it was like, you, you play several instruments, right? And I was like, yeah. Do you want to play with Javier Amena? Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Please. So it was, at first I was a fan and then we became friends. We don't really talk that much, but uh, we stay friends. And uh, she actually went back to Mexico City this year. I think early this year, earlier this year. And uh, I think she was at Semana de las Juventudes, no? Uh, but that was last year, I think. Oh, okay. Yes, but she did a sh uh, show in Me Mexico City at uh, Lunario. And she invited me to sing that song. Oh, really? Yeah, La Carrete, I think. That one she does with El Guincho. She invited me and I sang uh, his verse. Hold up. Hold the phone because we were about to cut to some music. But that song is with El Guincho? Yeah, it is. Uh, he doesn't have any featuring on it. I know that she, like, for example, like, um, Sincronia Pegaso is with Jepe on it. No, Sincronia Pegaso, I think it's with uh, Andres from Astro. Well, there's one with Andres and there the, was one with Jepe. The, the guy that goes... Like, ah, okay, I, okay, that's it, that's it, yeah. Um, but, like, nobody's credited on there. I think she only... Does she have a featuring on there? Like, an official credit? He, yeah, all of them, but it doesn't say featuring El Guincho. Right. But, yeah, uh, if I you read... I have no idea. Yes, but because his voice is very high on the song, like... Es que fue tan distinto que me ah. So, it's not his usual register <laughs> right right so you cannot identify it if you don't really know it's him i thought maybe you meant like that he had produced it or something because no, i know no, i, I know sings. the beat the beat to it and i'm like okay i could see el Ginja doing that but. yeah i think they hooked up on that version of novias which is a el Ginja song mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, that got released with a verse by javier amena Cool. And then it uh, he returned the favor, and that was it. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, yeah, I, I, I love that sort of like about like the, you know, the scene. That everybody's like, well, I can't really pay you, but like, I'll do a song for you if you do a song for me. Yeah, that's the like, way we oh. do it. <laughs> um, and you brought in Perlas from Esquemas. Like, why, why Perlas? Is that like just the jam? Yes, it, it, it's epic. Like, it, it's like 
shoegazers, pop. I mean, it, it has like this lush synths and stuff like that, and it's, the beat is just right. And I really used to enjoy playing it with her, like on the on the live sets.
puentes y los carros van cruzando mil esquinas a la vez. And since we were just talking about, like, how you've worked with Javiera, I wanted to lead in also with, like, you know, Ulises Hajis, who you work with fairly regularly. I mean, you already mentioned a little bit of that. You know, just, like, you've recorded with him, right? Yeah. Like, you've been, like, on the album and you've toured with him, yeah. like, a lot. Like, what about the Siembre sort of speaks to you? Did, you? did you, like, work on that track? Not on that particular track. I really like it. I don't know why. I think it's, uh, it's just laid back and it's very uh, sweet yeah and ver that's the word I think and uh, I don't know I I became friends with Ulises uh, through MySpace I remember because I didn't really uh, it was just like that though. we didn't really know people who did things that sounded like the artist like the international artist we enjoyed at the moment mm -hmm. so a friend of mine called Abel he used to have a, a very cool record record label he used to do cassettes that were like limited editions, like, you know, those odd numbers, like 25 copies of this cassette that is, um, it comes inside of an envelope that's typed with a typewriter and it's And a bologna stamps. sandwich. Exactly. <laughs> 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 so yes, uh, we became friends uh, through those type of eccentricities and he presented me uh, Ulysses' music and... Um, It sounded like Yola Tengo and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, who is this guy? We went to Maracaibo, which is where they're from, uh, to do shows with my previous bands. And uh, we connected and then we started talking a lot and then collaborating a lot and then even traveling. The first time he, uh, he traveled outside Venezuela was with me to Mexico, like maybe seven years ago or something like that. Damn. And then he moved there and I also did. Oh, does he live there? Yeah, he lives oh, in Mexico okay. City, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was like that. He started, like, um, I don't know, doing, like, more pop-oriented things, like, more, like, singer-songwriter song stuff. And then he got nominated for a Latin Grammy and everything. And I got weirder. <laughs> well, because I met, I met him randomly, like, two or three years ago at LAMC. Like, he came... Uh, obviously to perform and like I, he was at one of the showcases or whatever but I remember that I saw him there was a summer stage show and I forget who was playing like it, I, I think it was the day that Julieta Venegas was playing okay. and um, Alex Ambanter opened for her and Calamorrison was there okay. um, 
and so like I just met him. It was just like, hey, you know, great show, blah blah, and then he just moved on or whatever. <laughs> but um, you know, just like he was like a really cool guy, just super chill. Yeah, he is. Is everybody from Venezuela this chill? Because like I, you know, I definitely can see how you and he are friends because you're both really like that. <laughs> well, the thing is, uh, he's one of my best friends and my actual best friend who uh, who also plays in bands. He used to have a band called Elaine, and then he had Roy Valentin, which is very good too. Uh, us three, we don't really drink alcohol or dr drugs or smoke cigarettes or anything, oh. but we are the exception to the rule, <laughs> actually. But in general, people are very chill. Like, there are a lot of artists uh, who are f also friends of mine who, I don't know, we, we just get along very well and they do their thing and we support a lot, uh, like, each other and stuff. And... Um, Yes, I don't know. People in Venezuela are very like happy all the time. <laughs> the thing is that the the it's like that meme where the the house is burning and, and the, the dog, dog is, is like there. this is nice. Yes, <laughs> it's just like everything that. is fine. <laughs> this is fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Like if you know, uh, you know, if the general mood um, in Venezuela tends towards being kind of chill, relaxed. What's it been like to move to Mexico City and like adapt to the scene there? Because um, I was there once, and what I, you know, what a lot of people have told me is that, um, and from experiencing it, is that um, people from Mexico City are like the New Yorkers of Mexico. It's a very intense city, yeah. And um, you know, Chilangos are supposed to be a little more intense, like a little, um, like just like, faster than people elsewhere, and people in the rest of Mexico don't really like them that much. <laughs> A lot That's like true. New Yorkers. <laughs> um, Yet we pay all the fucking taxes. So, uh, so yeah, so what has that been like? And, like, what do, you, what do you think of the scene in Mexico City? Are there any bands you're really into? Yeah, well, it's been interesting. I think because I've been going to Mexico City in particular for so many years, like I started going there in like 2007, mm -hmm. and then I didn't stop, <laughs> like once a year at least, uh, until I actually moved there. Uh, I don't know, I, I didn't feel it like that different from the Venezuelan scene, but I do see sometimes especially in Mexico City, like this attitude that seems a little like the battle of the bands, a little. Like, okay, yes, well, we, we will do sound check and we will take all the time we need and then it doesn't matter if you don't or stuff like that, yes. So it, it's like a, a, my um, how I perceive it and then I, I have like... A, talk to people and they say like it, yeah it's it's just like that <laughs> that's Actually, how that's, we are here yeah i won't um you know this is this is not all on you you don't have to take full responsibility for that because um most musicians from mexico city or in mexico city have said have some kind of complaint like that and it's like the it affects like the scene for everybody you know that everyone um with the exception of like maybe nafi i think like most musicians who play in bands would would like the scene to be more supportive or yeah. warmer or yeah. just like a little more about the music yeah. and um, supporting each other. 
Um, but that kind of makes sense because it is a big city. It's yeah. one of like the biggest music towns where like you can get stuff done and you can play all the big festivals. And so it becomes a little bit like New York where it's not like you don't have your like close knit hometown scene. Yeah. And it's sort of, so that would be, I guess, one of the drawbacks. If anyone listening was thinking of moving to Mexico city to try to make it. <laughs> no, totally. But I mean, I don't know. Still there there have been a lot of new like collective and collectives and festivals and things like that that they at, at least they seem to be very based or focused on the you know making the local scene grow and thrive so you have ensemble for example or little festivals like um, maybe Verano Plop or stuff like that, that they really do focus on the local bands because a lot of Mexicans have that mentality that they themselves call uh, Malinchistas, which is like we support support only the things that comes that come from the outside. Like uh, if they're gringo, especially, it's like, oh, yes, here's our money. Yeah. And then if it's local, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. Go to my show. Everyone, everyone is like trying to get people to go to their shows, and they're like no, but it's on. It's for free. Um, yeah, but no, thank you. I mean, and there are really good bands like like Vaya Futura, for example, or even electronic music producers like No Light, like uh, me and my me and myself. Uh, there, there's a lot of music. Like oh yeah, there, no, there's tons of great bands I mean, from Mexico and Mexico City. Exactly. So. That's they get lots of love from outside of Mexico. Like, exactly, like Siete Catorce. Mm. Yeah. Love Siete Catorce. Um, and then, so, of course, we're talking about present-day situations. Um, and you mentioned uh, Presidente, yeah. um, which is, I mean, or at least, I'm trying, to, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to quite understand it because earlier you said that one of the members of Quiero Club is in Presidente, but mm. Presidente is based in Venezuela. Oh, no, no. This is a story. I mean, a friend of mine called Eberto, <laughs> which is from Maracaibo, and is actually a very good friend with Ulises. They have worked, they have worked together more than Ulises and I. And uh, he is he's a genius. Like, he, 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 writes, he writes, like, the most beautiful songs, and they feel like poetry, like the lyrics and stuff like that. And uh, I don't know, he has, like, this... Venezuelan nostalgia feeling to his music like not even nostalgia like folkloric or anything mm -hmm. it's like 80s something like that Venezuela that was paradise and it now isn't but you listen to it and it's like AM radio from Maracaibo in like 80, 89 or something like that okay. he captures like a mood or a totally spirit. yes and it, you can even even if you're not from Venezuela you can hear it and it's like it, it's it transports you. And uh, he has this um, musical project called Presidente. And then in Mexico, like, meanwhile in Mexico, uh, Marcela, no, uh, Priscilla from Quiero Club and uh, Kike Rangel from uh, Café de Cuba, they, they did a project also called Presidente. So my friend Eberto, oh. Eberto he had to change the name to Señor Presidente. Of course. I actually kind of <laughs> like it better as Señor Presidente. Yeah. Because there's something about it that's really sort of um, almost mocking. Yeah. Like when people refer to, like, the president as, oh, Señor Presidente. Like, yeah, there's yeah. something about it that's just buffoon-like, that it's just, like, making fun of it. Yeah, totally. And I think that's what he 
tried to to achieve. Like he he tried to mock the word because in Venezuela it's always like hey el presidente blah 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 blah, and it's always something bad because you know el presidente de Venezuela. Yeah. So it's like uh, people always on Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that. They say my only president is at. President, Señor Presidente, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, for us Venezuelans, that's our president. <laughs> awesome. So let's go ahead and listen to Presidente. Uh, this is the song Solo. Solo. Thank you. 
one of the things that, like, I've been dying to ask you, because, like, again, once upon a time, we ran into each other at uh, Festival Normal in Mexico City, and we just hung out and kikied and had a drink, and um, we got to talking about Arca and how you guys remembered him from way back when, pre-Bjork, pre-living in London, like, this was just some yeah. nerdy kid in Caracas, like, acting crazy. Like, <laughs> what was that like seeing the pre-superstar? Well... It was very intimidating because it. Uh, we started at around the same t the same time, and he was very young. I think he started at like fourteen, and uh, he actually uh, in parallel he was doing music, with, which was very beautiful and like IDM, and he was doing also graphics, and he was insanely good. I don't know why uh, he doesn't do that anymore. He the doesn't graphics. work. Yeah. But I don't know why, because he was even featured on magazines and stuff like that. Really? Like, like physical <laughs> magazines. And um, he was very young, and he was part of that, like, let's say, crew of people like Todos Santos, like Carlo Pusher, and uh, people like those. And they were older than him, of course, and they invited... I mean, this band I, I played with uh, called Boom Boom Clan, when I wasn't with them... Uh, uh, I hadn't started playing with with them still. They did a show, I remember, in Universidad Central de Venezuela, in the university, one of the, well, the biggest one, I think. And uh, it was very funny. It was like he was just sitting with his desktop. It wasn't even a laptop. It, like His dad helped him bring the CPU and the monitor and stuff like that. And he was like just sitting there like, you know, hand on his chin <laughs> and clicking on his big old mouse and stuff like that. And that was the show. And the, the music was, like, fascinating. But that was it, like, literally. And then he didn't, he barely went out. He had a lot of, he had girlfriends and he had a lot of, like, friends from school and right. stuff like that. And I remember he was at that show a very famous show among the, our circle, me and my girlfriends, um, which was a show where I played twice with two projects, and he was there, like, oh my god, who is that? That's Nudo. That's Nudo was, uh, was his uh, AKA around that time. And he used to do, like, IDM, and then he moved to very, very, like, poppy electronic music. He used to sing a lot and uh, write lyrics. It was like the postal service. Okay. Yeah, like... Some songs were, like, too much, like, the postal okay, service. Okay, this I want to hear. No, no, it was, I, I, I used to love that music. Like, he, he was, to me, amazing. Okay, I like the postal service. I did, too. <laughs> and um, then he left. He went to study uh, here in, in New York City. He came to study, uh, I don't know what, like, music production or something. Probably. And then uh, he started hanging out with the right people, I, I'm guessing. He, he, he started working with... Mickey Blanco and uh, Leaf oh, wow. and people like that. So he came out of his shell here in, in, in New York City and moved in. Uh, he moved to London. And all of a sudden, uh, I heard his music, Asarca, and I was like, um, this is like nothing I have ever heard before. Like, this is um, prior to Sen or Mutant or anything like that. Right. He, he used to do this. The EPs? Yeah, exactly. Like, something like kind of hip-hop, but not really, like, too mutant to be hip-hop. 
And uh, then there was this, the Fader cover story, and that was it. <laughs> it's like, okay, oh God. It, it was around the time when it was announced that he was working with Kanye. Right. Mm -hmm. So... Because he's had, like, um, he's had some big ones. It's Kanye, Bjork, and there's another one that was really... FKA Twix. There you go. That's yes. the one. Yeah. yeah, he started, actually, he started gaining attention with, uh, uh, with FKA Twix. He and Jesse Kanda, which is his partner, they uh, he does all the visuals. Okay. So, for example, that Water Me, Water Me, yeah. the video, uh, Jesse did the video, and uh, Arka did the production. That's awesome. He actually produced all that EP, the EP2. Okay. And then he moved on to work with Kanye and Bjork. So, <laughs> basically, uh, I haven't seen him in a while. We we always share, like, little comments on Facebook, like, Te Cucu Jota, which is, like, I love you a lot, or stuff like that. Te quiero que jode. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, um, which is very, like, teenager. So, that was the how we used to treat each other when we were in Caracas. And we have a lot of, like, mutual appreciation, but we haven't really seen each other for years right yeah so we're playing self-defense by arca now so okay. um this is like one of uh, his early eps yeah um i mean is what what makes this song just stand out um let's see um he before that one he dropped like a mixtape and then an ep called uh, stretch one this is this one stretch two and uh when i heard that this song was the first single and i was like what is happening you know and I love that quality in music that's what I look for I mean my favorite artists they have this kind of very very weird weird kind of things but, but very familiar at the same time and um, I was like trying to wrap my head around how he did it in like I mean I produce and I, I was thinking if I sat down at my laptop and tried to do something like that, I wouldn't, there, there's no way I would have done something similar in any way to this. Right. So I like that a lot. And then I, I remember I bought the LP, I ordered it uh, on the internet and it, it, it is amazing. I think it's still one of my favorite, my favorite uh, releases from Marca, even after he released Zen and, uh, and, Mutant. and Mutant and all of those like and 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 right. <laughs> yes that one remains i don't know why uh, one of my favorites arcade releases I'm not that 
harder, harsher things like that, uh, and they can do it in a very hurtful way. But in general, it's very like it doesn't matter if you're black or white, in general, like Michael Jackson. <laughs> But I don't know when you start um, seeing how it is in general, especially here here in the states, which I think somehow dictates the way. I mean, the the, the racial dynamics here in in the states dictate a lot of how people react to race outside of the of the country i think somehow yeah. outside of the u.s like the way um like u.s attitudes towards race affect people's perspectives in other parts I of think the world so. do you think that might have something to do with the fact that we export a lot of pop culture totally yes that sucks yeah yeah i know and i mean for example let's say something i'm very um aware about is the n-word you know and the people in in mexico or people in venezuela or any country in latin america it's like people say that and uh they say as say it as a joke and they say it doesn't matter because that's something that's in um in the u.s and we don't really that's not our dynamic like if i say that it doesn't matter that doesn't make me a racist you know right and it's like it It, it's not that simple. I mean, it's a word that's problematic here and everywhere. So... Well, I feel like American pop culture has turned minorities, you know, women, Latinos, gays, blacks, any uh, any other divergent religion, like kind of into caricatures. Yeah. So that's just how sort of the rest of the world reacts to it. Because that's, you know, that's sort of like our main export is like, you know, culture. Um, be it positive or negative, that's, like, the main thing that we have to offer. So, like, if, you you know, you're getting, like, those crappy... Our racial politics are the last thing I want to export. <laughs> and it's, it's maybe the biggest thing that we export. I mean, yeah. every, like, you know, Great. like... Uh, growing up in DR, like, you know, we had, like, Sabrina the Teenage Witch and, and Baywatch, but it was dubbed into Spanish. But, like, if there was, like, any sort of racism or homophobia or, like, degradation of women... That was still there. Oh, great. Also, our beauty standards. Exactly. But that's <laughs> exactly. exactly it, you know? So I feel like maybe you, you know, do you have to deal with it in Mexico now as an adult? Like, do, you know, again, your hair is a very sort of, we, we talked about, we even joked a little bit about Solange because she has this song like, Don't Touch My Hair. Yeah. <laughs> And like, again, you have hair that probably people might want to touch. Like, yeah. Is that something that you often have to deal with in Mexico? Yeah, a lot. I mean, I understand that, It's rare for Mexicans to see a person like me walk, walking down the street or that looks like me. I mean, they're uh, Afro-Mexicans are mm. very rare and they also, uh, they just locate on Veracruz and Oaxaca and stuff like that. Right. So they are they they weren't acknowledged at, as one big racial group uh, until I think this year or last year or something right. like that. Uh, so there's people who that they don't even believe that there are Mexicans that are black. So it's not very common to see a black guy. If you see a black guy down the street, it's, uh, he's or she is probably from uh, Jamaica or maybe Haiti. An or, immigrant. Yeah, exactly. Or Brazil, that's very common, or Cuba. Um, so I don't take it that personally, but there's one specific thing that I do per take personally. Which is that they have this candy called Negrito Bimbo. Okay. Uh, which originally was this very offensive image of this typical, like, tribe man with, you know, the big lips 
you know, pink, and the rest of it is very dark. I think I've seen it. Yes. So at the start it was like that, and then it <laughs> mutated into a, a black kid with an afro playing basketball, for example. And then that's Negrito Bimbo. So, uh, it I na- guess that's less bad? Yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah. Well, now it, it, it isn't called Negrito Bimbo. Now it's called Nito, just Nito. And it's lighter. His skin color is lighter. Of course it is. Yes, because it, well, it was considered offensive uh, at some point. So they had to make him lighter? That, exactly. <laughs> oh, wait, what? But he still has an afro and everything. So that's, it's very confusing. But the thing is, people down the street, they call me Negrito Bimbo. And I don't know how to process that. I mean, it's like, it sounds a little like, I don't know if racist, but ignorant. No, it, that, that's, that's what that is. I yeah. mean, they might not mean to be hurtful. Yeah. But that's effed up. Yeah, totally. And I mean, it's like, you see kids with their <clears throat> parents, and the parents go like, Hey, mira el negrito! And the kids aren't even interested. And they have to look at me because that's an el negrito bimbo in right. real life. So I don't know how to feel about that. And at the start, I didn't, I didn't pay attention because in Venezuela, people call me all kinds of names, like Tego Calderon, or <laughs> things that don't make any sense that, like... Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson. <laughs> Why? Because an afro is being seen as of extreme course. or something? Exactly, yes. Just oh like my that. Oh, God. Like, uh, th- there was this guy once, and he called me, oh, look, there's Lenny Crawford. And I was yes! like... And I was puzzled, and someone entered the picture, and he was like, no, it's it's Lenny Kravitz. And he was like, oh, thank you. Like, thank you for <laughs> correcting me. For the folks at home, we're all having our faces in our palms. And, but, <laughs> no, Have you heard, I'm sure you've heard Jimi Hendrix. Well, there was this guy called like, oh, you look exactly like Jimi Hen- Henry. Do Henry. you know Jimi Henry? And I'm like, yes, but it's not Jimi Henry. Oh, yes, Jimi Henry. And I'm like, okay, let's go with it. <laughs> Work. So wait, so then, because um, we were talking earlier, and again, like I want to tie it all into this Juan Luis Guerra song. yeah. yeah. Um, and we were talking about like sort of like that Caribbean identity. Yeah. Um, like how how would you tie that into La Cosquillita? Well, the thing is, um, that's that that's part of my childhood. And that's part of who I am. I think my parents, my my dad is black, and all my fam my, my dad's family they're all black, and the family reunions are like just let's play music and listen to whatever, soca and calypso and merengue and salsa. Right. And that's all rooted on African um, tradition and African music. So specifically merengue, and I mean, one of my favorite songs is uh, Juan Luis Guerra's uh, A Pedir Su Mano, which is a song that's based on a Suku song from the Central uh, Republic of Africa. That is a really interesting thing, like the exchange between Latin America and African music. Yeah. Um, you know, not just because of, you know, the African roots of so many people in Latin America, but actually because, you know, in like the modern era of like that cultural exchange. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, salsa also being very popular in Central Africa. Exactly. There's so much to that history that I think people haven't even like traced yet. Totally. And I think that's a very like healthy relationship because it's like horizontal if you go like geographically it's like you don't have to go through Europe or you don't have to go through the states to you know um, to have some sort of filter that validates the music that's being made in Africa 
in Latin America or vice versa. And it's like that's happening a lot right now with Afrobeats and uh, dance hall and stuff like that. So in you the have Caribbean. this, yeah, you have collaborations between like Sean Paul, Sean Paul, exactly, <laughs> and uh, maybe like a Fuso DG in uh, um, in in Nigeria or Ghana and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's a uh, very like that. It's just it's very horizontal, and it's not like okay, let's you have to, you know, maybe do something with Snoop Dogg or whatever to get validated. It's like, no, we have this relationship and we enjoy our music and we go to Africa to play shows and they come to the Caribbean or to America, South America, for example. And it's not... You don't have to get some approval from, you know, anything else. So you've mentioned actually two different Juan Luis Guerra songs, yeah. Aperir Su Mano and La Cosquillita. Which one do you want to play? Which, which is... What are we, what are we going to hear? Well, let's go with Apedir Su Mano. All right, cool. Because you need to see the video, too. It's, it's filmed in the Dominican Republic, but in the Quisqueya part of the Dominican Republic. So they show, like, all of these rituals that, that are very rooted in the African tradition. It's more, oh, I think it's more like on the Haitian side of the, right. of the island. And it's very beautiful. I mean, the, they have all the costumes, etc., And the song itself, I don't remember the, the name of the original song that this one is based on. I think it's Dede de, de Priscilla, okay. which is a song from the Central uh, Republic of Africa. And uh, yes, it's like, the if you hear the original, it's just like this one. It's like merengue was ripped out of the heart of Africa and implanted in, in the Dominican Republic. So... Yes, it's very interesting to like trace back of all of those roots. Great, let's hear that now.
really interesting um, for me when you were talking about the kind of music that your family would play at family reunions because what I heard in that was you know every style of music you mentioned is like there's a tiny thread of that like running through your whole like your new album La Confianza Ciega I can hear like a glint of it like there's a little you'll hear like a little bit of Calypso you'll hear like you know um, a tiny bit of you know, maybe Champeta, different kinds of um, Caribbean and Afro-Caribbean styles of music. But um, what I loved about it is that, you know, there are threads of so many different things that, you know, I realize now are um, things you grew up with. But it's a synthesis that it's like you're almost um, inventing new styles of Afro-Caribbean music. Thank you. And um, <clears throat> that's one thing that's so... Um, it's almost like the music, I love the lyrics on the album, but the music speaks to me um, almost more. Okay. So we're really stoked to be able to play one of these songs, and everybody needs to check out this album. <laughs> uh, and before we intro that song, uh, I'm actually, this is going to be our final song for this episode, so I just want to remind everybody that you can find us, find Song Mess at uh, Song Mess <laughs> on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you can email us at songmessmusic at gmail.com. Hey, and Bev, where can people listen to Songmess? Well, if you want, you could listen on SoundCloud, but um, if you're cool, you will subscribe to us on iTunes and rate us. And um, just as importantly, hey, Checky, Algo en Egipcio, where can people find your music or find you on a stage? Mm, let's see. <laughs> well, I have a website. Uh, it's net, and there it's not updated now that I think about it <laughs> but yeah uh, the, you're gonna work on that yeah totally but uh, uh, there you have links to all of my social media profiles and stuff like that then again I'm on uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter and Instagram as Algodonegipsio and uh, on SoundCloud and also Bandcamp as Algodonegipsio and I'm on iTunes and Spotify and Apple Music and blah, blah, blah. Come on, everything. And everything. Deezer, blah, blah. So, yes, yeah. Uh, um, all my music is available online. 
practically everything. So watch his music videos; they're really fun. <laughs> um, and so yeah, the last song is off La Confianza Ciega. Yes. This is Las Gotas Plateadas. Yeah. Um, why are we playing this song? Why is this well other than you know why is this the song that we need to end on? Um, this is usually the song I used to uh, wrap up my shows. The last one. Because I don't know why it, it starts very like ethereal and then it becomes very like, party like, and uh, it's very weird for me because the the lyrics of the song, if there is one single song that feels political on the entire album, it's this one. Actually, the Las Gotas Plateadas, which is like the the um, silver drops or raindrops in in this case particular case. Um, it's a, it's a, that's a metaphor for bullets. And uh, it's, a, it's a song that is about basically um, seeing survival in Caracas as a way of rebellion or something like that. It's like, I'm alive, so I'm, you know, rebelling against everything that's happening. And it's about feeling like every time you go out on the streets, like you have a target on your back and it's Today, it's not you, it's a neighbor, but maybe tomorrow it's your turn. So it's very, it's very bittersweet because the lyrics are very heavy for me, but the music is very festive. <laughs> so um, yes, I really like it. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's very, um, let's say, I, I, I tried to do, to try to try a lot of new things on this song. Awesome. Well, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much, Algodon Egipcio, Chequi, uh, your incredible entourage, Erika, who's been awesome and Mwah. relatively Mwah. silent throughout. <laughs> um, anything else left to add, Bev? Best episode ever. For real. And actually, this is our New Year's episode, so Happy New Year to everybody. Weba! Un feliz right. <laughs> Um, may you have a happy indie Christmas and a relevant new year. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
el rincón Llenan la habitación Amenazan romper su fragilidad fatal Voces desde el rincón Llenan la habitación Y se pierden en un barco a Dios fugaz oh, 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 oh. ¿A quién le toca hoy?